0: Hello and welcome to Tomlin's Harmonica Podcast, where I'll be hanging out with players and teachers and having conversations loosely based around harmonica. This week's guest is Harmonica Royalty. He's a world-renowned customizer, harmonica historian, masterful teacher, and incredible player specializing in pre-war blues styles. He is Joe Felisco. Hi, Joe. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing mighty fine considering the circumstances. Yes.
0: That's good to hear. So um, where, whereabouts uh, are you based?
1: Uh, uh, roughly about an hour south of Chicago. If you get on the road and you head to St. Louis, I'm about an hour out of Chicago.
0: Cool. So are you kind of a little bit more rural where you are?
1: I think we are right at the edge of the urban uh, sprawl of chicago Uh you don't have you don't have to drive too much farther south from here and you begin to hear that twang in people's voices that's characteristic of the south
0: very cool and so is it how is it there currently is it a little bit more relaxed than it would be in in the center of the city
1: well i think where uh, there's more population. I think it's the craziness factor definitely goes up, but it's crazy enough around here. I was at the store yesterday, and definitely half the people in the store were wearing masks now.
0: Yeah, um, and what, what's it like in terms of um, the rules that have been put in place? Because I think it's it's all a bit different state by state, there, isn't it?
1: Uh, I believe so. I I haven't been paying very close attention uh they're really advising everybody to uh stay in as much as possible and me staying in makes my wife happy so there's that saying happy wife happy life and just knowing she's happy because i'm trying to wash up more and and sanitize everything that we buy when we go shopping and it makes her happy, so I'm happy.
0: Well, that, that that's very sensible. It's uh, it's good that it goes that way because I've had quite a few students uh, emailing me uh, saying that their wives are going mad uh, with all the harmonica playing that suddenly started happening in, in the house.
1: <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> no she, she still goes out. She works uh, at the local hospital. She's not in contact with any patients, but she works with the hospital faculty and is fairly busy, but it's not really as crazy, as she says, for her job at the hospital as it is just visiting the supermarket.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, I guess kind of hospitals are set up to be clean, separate places, and it's probably, unless you're on a corona ward, it's probably quite a safe place to be, um, generally.
1: I think so. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, and how, how are you coping, um, with, with being kind of indoors, not, not getting to play out and, and, and teach and things?
1: Well, for me, actually, I'm pretty severely introverted. So having less contact is, uh, not really a problem because I got plenty of things that I can do and be creative with. Uh, I, I had to go through quite a emo- emotional uh, upheaval, taking my regular teaching schedule and transferring that all to online, which I kind of swore I would never do. So I had to go from having a really bad attitude about teaching online to having the best possible attitude possible. Uh, I- my students, my regular stu- students in Chicago are uh, very precious to me, the relationships and stuff. So naturally, I didn't want to expose any of them to uh, my toxic attitude about it. So I had to do a lot of uh, a lot of maintenance on myself to change that. Uh, I'm also really grieved that I don't I'm not playing anymore, mainly uh, with uh, Eric Noden. Mm. Of which I'm deeply have been deeply committed to for 15 years. So the fact that we're not playing together, um, it's it's going to be more and more of a sting to me as time goes on. And I'm definitely really concerned for him that he has enough in income to keep coming in to uh, be ready to pursue a career in music in the future when it becomes viable. So I'm really starting to think more than ever what I can do along with him to keep income generating. But as far as me personally, uh, it's not a problem for me. I still uh, do my regular thing. I've had to readjust. I I was very grieved that I had to discontinue my morning workout at the health club and readjust to something different that that was a painful transition also but that's you know that's like a third world a first world problem you know I I I wouldn't want anybody feeling sorry for me
0: Yeah, I I know exactly how you feel. So we uh, hummed and hard for months about joining our local uh, gym, uh, which I can see out of my window. And about a week before lockdown, uh, we finally pulled the trigger. We're like, this is going to be great. We're going to go swimming every day and it'll be brilliant. And and now it's just there and we can't go. And it's it's so upsetting. (laughs) Um but but yeah you were saying that uh you were you were kind of really anti the online teaching. What what was like do you mind me asking why?
1: Um I just enjoy the stimulation of real life stuff. Mm-hmm. Um i I guess I'm I've always sort of been behind the times as far as technology goes. Uh I still buy seventy eight RPM records. Uh, it, it's yeah. I, I I think that's mostly what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something about technology which confounds my analog mind. Uh, the idea that the device isn't working, so reboot it and everything is going to be fixed. To, to me, uh, that is, I'm challenged with that. I, I will have to say that the the iPhone that uh, that actually, all the iPhones that I've purchased have been brilliant devices. As far as uh, not having technical problems with them, I'm 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 uh, very grateful to how those have functioned for me. So I've I'm here. I am. I've made the transition.
0: You have. You have. <laughs> I, I I get it. I mean, I, I think that the thing that I really struggled with with online teaching is that. I can see that it's so powerful in in so many ways, but but there is a big chunk of stuff missing from the experience. There is the playing in a room with other people. Uh, there's you know if if I teach a student one to one, I'll always have a guitar in my hands while while they're playing, right. and there's so much of of kind of that groove thing happening that you you can't get across with the latency that exists online. But I, I feel that it's, it's a, a really useful tool. Um, and I was chatting about this with David Barrett, where you know, the student can watch the, the same little bit of you saying something over and over and over until it really sticks. Uh, and that's, that's a real positive thing. Um, so basically, basically where I'm going with this is after lockdown, do you think that you might kind of do a, a hybrid approach um, or are you, do you think you'll just go straight back to in-person?
1: Well, I think the cat's out of the bag and uh I I'm approaching it cautiously. Um I did, I do see financial opportunities there, but I'm unfortunately I think of myself as an idealist and if I'm not trying to make as much money as possible, I'm really just trying to make what I need to get by so that I can do creative things and further my study of music and how the harmonica relates to that Um, one of the things that I've been really trying to develop and I think it's gonna have potential in the future is trying to encourage folks to make a three or four minute video of themselves playing so that Uh, and send me a link to that so that I can evaluate that. And there's some things with that format that I think are immensely powerful. Uh, Number one, it forces students to actually attempt to do something that they think is really good. Uh, Obviously, uh, I don't really want them to send me something that they think is crap. I want <laughs> I, I want them to, to get focused, get disciplined, sit down, try to make a video of themselves in the same manner that you would if you were going to uh, launch a new YouTube video. You know, you're know, you going to be uh, looking at yourself. You're going to be watching yourself. You're going to be listening to what you're playing. So I'm, I'm trying to get students to do that uh, so that they're happy with it if they have – uh, a critique. If they have something that they think is really strong, they should make a note of that. If they have something that they think that they slipped up on, they should make note of that. If they have something that they're not sure about or confounds them, they should make note about that. And then what I can do is I can sit in my, my leisure time and, uh, review the video and maybe ponder it, uh, you know, for, number of hours and then come back review it again and actually make detailed notes that you know everything was good until the 10 second place and then you had this issue here with your breathing you weren't paying attention to it and at this point uh this problem happened but at this point from 28 to 32 seconds that was like really perfect it was fantastic so i can be really very, very fine tooth comb detailed with them uh, if they arise and decide to uh, embrace the discipline of making a video. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, I think a lot of people seem to want that instant gratification of having somebody sit across from them. And that's something that I'm a little more uh, hesitant to dive into. Uh, quite yet, uh, I, I'm sure it'll happen, but uh, I really am going to be encouraging folks to send video, uh, and I and for what I've done in the past, it's worked. I've I've actually thrown out an invitation to all of my students in Chicago to uh, send me videos as much as they possibly can. So I've been actually spending time every day. Uh, giving people feedback and it's actually sharpening my musical skills, my communication skills, my perception skills and um, so maybe there's gonna be something there in the future for me to pursue
0: cool well, I, I, I think I think that's a great idea and uh, I, I think students get get a lot out of that because it, I, I think it, it can kind of take out the element of of having someone in the room with you, which is quite distracting. Because there's 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 a social element to a lesson. Um, it's not just education. Um, I, I'm sure you you have a lot of kind of social elements. People tell you what they've been doing that week and the argument they had with their spouse and whatever. Uh, so. Having a recording and you giving feedback can can be so much more uh, sharp and tuned than than a lesson sometimes can be. So yeah, I think that's that's a really cool cool way to do it.
1: Yeah, that's that's definitely a part of it. And I, I had a, another thought that just came to me the last time I sat down and was reviewing stuff, and 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 that it relates to some of the struggles that I think that the current group of students are having making videos. And it relates to this, uh, I think of it as sort of one of my guidelines, which is I tell people anytime, any day, I would rather hear something simple done really well than something complicated done so-so and and done with a lot of mistakes in it. And I think what's happening is uh, the folks are realizing that the, comp- the more complicated piece that they're attempting to do is, is showing them those shortcomings in a loud, glaring, uh, very obvious way. So I, I think this is going to be an opportunity for me to uh, beat that drum again and tell folks, revisit your old repertoire and send me something that you know you can do really, really well, because I'd rather hear that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think there's a huge amount in that. Um, I think when, when I get, get new students in the school... Uh, you know, I, I ask them to kind of self-evaluate and very often they'll they'll come back to me and say, yeah, well, I'm, I'm an advanced player, but um, I think that there are some kind of beginner things that I haven't really uh, got down. I'm not very good at breathing and relaxing. It's like, So I have to stop myself immediately saying, well, I, I don't think you're an advanced player then. <laughs> um, you know, you, you might have all of this kind of technical ability, but, but there are some very big foundational things um, that that are so important, um, and yeah, I, I'm with you. If if someone plays uh, simply beautifully, it's it's much more uh, wonderful to listen to than uh, something that's kind of fiendishly complicated but a bit screechy and uh, not beautiful. Um, right, definitely. Um, and and yeah, I guess this this kind of brings me a little bit to um, kind of chatting to you a bit about the kind of pre-war. Uh, harmonica styles, because you know you're you're a very technically accomplished harmonica player, but you've uh, kind of gone and and focused more on on some slightly more traditional styles. Uh, what what kind of got you into that?
1: Well, th- when I first became interested in pursuing uh, playing the harmonica, mainly blues. One of the very first records that uh, fell into my lap was the Yazoo record, Harmonica Blues of the 1920s and 1930s. And I just was enamored and enthralled with the wide variety of playing that uh, was to be heard on that. Uh, There was... Plenty of things that nowadays people would listen to and say is very modern, like the playing the harmonica rag of Chuck Darling and the, the melodic, clean melodic playing that Rhythm Willie did on my driving wheel. But there was also uh, the chordal playing, uh, rhythmic chordal playing that you, could, you would hear on Freeman Stower's Railroad Blues, or the the playing with the multi-layered tongue blocking to be heard on D. Ford Bailey's cut on that record. Uh, The Jazz Gillum stuff on that record is very uh, delightfully layered in terms of how he's uh, playing a melody, but he's always thickening that melody by letting the low note of an octave sneak in or the high note of a, uh, an adjacent hole uh, sneak in. And I just found it to be uh, mesmerizing, I guess you'd say. And the train imitation in particular was one of the things that really enthralled me. Uh, even to this day, I use it as a starting point for all beginner harmonica players because you can play it on the chords of the harmonica and anybody that can breathe can play the chords that are on a harmonica. So that's always the starting point. And it deals with rhythm and groove more directly than I think anything else in a simplified manner. So, You can never have good enough rhythm and groove in your blues roots playing. Uh, It deals with the issue of sound and tone. The harmonica train is, there's this paradox about it, that you can get such a big, complex sound out of such a small instrument. And so that seems to be, well, it's definitely something that captivates me. Uh, And then there's this other style that is very well associated with the early harmonica styles that the manifestation of it is with the lost John or the Fox chase. And that's a, also a chord driven uh, rhythmic piece. Uh, Actually the very first recordings that anyone has ever found of the harmonica playing in the cross harp fashion are the Fox chase lost John style of playing on the harmonica. So it's just a big rhythmic sound. It's uh, maybe uh, another way of putting it. It's it features the diatonic harmonica in an accordion like role where there's this complex layered sound going on. It's the, it's the farthest away from what, is happening today in a lot of modern playing styles which are strictly uh or almost strictly clean melodic single note styles of playing
0: so no it it is very very um different to a lot of the modern styles and um it's something that I've only recently started started to actually listen to, um, because I, you know, I, I I came to harmonica as a guitarist and I wanted to play kind of modern guitar lines on harmonica, um, and that led me down the path of overblows and uh, lip purse and all that kind of stuff, and um, then it, it was actually uh, doing a workshop with David Barrett that just completely blew me away to kind of something a little bit more uh, vintagey, tongue-blocked, uh, and I, was, I, I, I asked him, you know, how how do I start getting some of those sounds? And he's like, well, you, you start tongue blocking and <laughs> you work on that. Um, yeah, it's it's been kind of a game changer, but I, I can't even, I, I don't know what the next step is to, to do that kind of simultaneous uh, melody, chordal thing, because um, I, I, I'm still kind of stuck in kind of 50s, 60s uh, tongue blocking harmonica territory. Uh, so h- how would you kind of start in in the kind of the mixing of melody and chordal stuff?
1: Um, well, I've been uh, I started teaching at the Old Town School of Folk Music in Chicago in 1992. And in order to not create a conflict with one of the other gentlemen that was teaching there, I started teaching classes that I called Chicago Blues Harmonica. And the idea behind the class was how to incorporate tongue blocking extensively into your blues harmonica playing. And in on that journey, uh, I made it part of my discipline to come every week with another one of the classic Chicago blues songs played, recorded by any of the Walters or the the Sunnies. And I would transcribe that for years. And probably, I'm sure it was definitely by 20 years ago, I was realizing that uh, how complex and layered this these Chicago blues tongue-blocking styles were, but I was also realizing that they were way too difficult songs for nearly all of my students. So I started to put together what I call study songs, and that was essentially the elements, the, the, the foundational stuff of these Chicago blues songs, minus the challenges that uh, eventually you need to reconcile with that have to do with note bending. My theory was develop a solid foundation and confidence with your tongue blocking. And then when your tongue blocking becomes confident, then the note bending will happen. I mean, that's really uh, you know what happened with me personally. I started out also as a uh, single note clean lip pucker player, Uh, but it was listening to the early styles that I realized there's, there's stuff going on here. There's layers going on here that I'm not getting with this lip puckering approach. So since that time, I've really developed these study songs to develop foundational, uh, skills for developing tongue blocking. If you, if you take a, uh, Walk through uh, the f- online Felisco store webpage that I have. There's a couple things that are noteworthy for anyone that's interested in developing chops. One of them is the section that says all levels, and I believe there's two study songs there. One of them is Skip to My Lou, and I use Skip to My Lou as a uh, powerful foundational building tongue blocking tool because the melody is one of the easiest melodies that there ever could be uh, in the whole wide world to playing on the harmonica. I, I almost think that Skip to My Lou could have been written by somebody playing the harmonica because it's such a harmonica friendly melody. So it, there's a a, a little, uh, teaser built into that because if you can't play confidently one of the easiest melodies that there ever could be to play on the harmonica uh that kind of indicates that you got some homework to do you got some foundational skills to be building up on the harmonica if i get together with students i'm wanting to hear music i want i want to hear a song I mean, there's a place for jamming. But if you can't play a song for me, that's a red flag in my book. Uh, I want to hear a song. Another song that's under that all levels, I think, is a song called Henry's Lament. And that is a uh, cross-harp-style study song that is really meant to show you a starting point to embracing how somebody like D Ford Bailey or or Kyle Wooten or Palmer Maccabee any of these early players how they would have taken a simple bluesy old timey flavored melody uh, like that and how they would learn to layer and decorate it without the distractions of having to incorporate fancy note bending and stuff in it because Almost always the problem that I run into and, and somebody like David Barrett, who is really teaching to play the harmonica from a tongue blocking standpoint is, well, how do I learn to bend? And, and Which is uh, of course a, a legitimate answer. And my what I have done to uh, help that situation along is to create these dozens of study songs based upon transcribing hundreds of classic, traditional, best recordings that have ever been done of tongue-blocking Chicago-style blues songs by the Walters or by the Sunnies and incorporate them into an intermediate approach to playing blues on the harmonica. You know, something like, for example, to demonstrate, I, I would think as a harmonica player that if you can't play a simple boogie line, uh, then that's a red flag. Because this seem, this is like something anybody, of course except a drummer, uh, because that's not a melody instrument, should be able to do. Uh, so this sort of thing. a player who says they're a blues player can't do that simple uh, boogie kind of line outlining the chords I, I don't you know it's hard for me to take them seriously at their word uh, and, and there's no bending and stuff like that so I've been trying to put together materials that focus on the stuff that you can do and is available to do on the harmonica uh, that doesn't Uh, Make you reconcile with poor bending skills uh, at the start.
0: Very cool. Okay, so one thing that just just so you know, so uh, I've uh, anything that Joe's talking about will be written down in the show notes. So there'll be links to the Felisco store uh, and those those songs and things to check out. So definitely worth uh, going and and having a look look at those. Um, Very cool. Um, One thing I wanted to to kind of talk about that's a little bit I think related to this you might tell me that it's not um, but you know you you, you play uh, extensively as a duo with Eric um, do you think that the duo f- well what, what I want to know is what came first playing in a duo or playing a, a style of harmonica that lends itself to filling out the sound as much as possible
1: well I think uh I think both, Tomlin. Uh, So as you can tell, I like to play the harmonica, and when I'm in teaching mode, the default generally is Chicago blues, blues of the predominantly 1950s, uh, which I happen to think is the highest form of evolution in the blues harmonica world, my, my personal opinion. But I really have always had a deep fascination of earlier blues styles. So when you see like somebody like Kim Wilson or Rick Estrin or Mark Hummel or you know in, in, uh, in the islands over there where you're at, uh, Wes Weston or Paul Lamb, I consider these guys predominantly Chicago style players, taking and building predominantly on the lessons of Big Walter, Little Walter, Rice Miller, Jimmy Reed, James Cotton, some Sonny Boy One, maybe, maybe occasionally some Sonny Terry. But they're they're taking upon that tradition and learning from those players and maybe doing their own thing with it, but but you can really hear that that's where the roots of their playing comes from. So that's part of what is important to me. But I've also really tried to take that idea and apply it to the even earlier generation of harmonica players uh, stuff and rural harmonica players. So Eric and I will do a lot of Sonny Terry, Brownie McGee type stuff. When you listen to Sonny Terry, Brownie McGee, you hear Sonny Terry playing the harmonica all the time. Uh, same thing with Sonny Boy Williamson number one than any of the recordings that he did as a sideman with Big Joe Williams um, or Big, Big Bill Brunsey. He's playing the harmonica all the time in an extremely rhythmic uh, approach. It's, it's actually a good way of thinking of it is that that approach to playing the harmonica is more or has more to do with a rhythm percussion instrument than it does have to a, a melodic instrument. It's it's very rhythmic. Uh, there are other players from the 1920s like Jazz Gillum, uh, just because he got so much sound out of the harmonica. Uh, the old time style players, uh, Gwen Foster comes to mind because his playing is so completely alien to anything that most uh, modern ears are used to hearing the playing that Johnny Woods did with Fred McDowell, uh, which I think is some of the most underappreciated and underrated blues harmonica playing that I've ever heard. It's purely or almost purely chordal and excessively rhythmical. It's so intoxicating to me. So I'm looking at those approaches uh, to playing be- because they encompass playing all the time nonstop uh, and bringing that into the duo setting because the role of the harmonica in a duo setting, in my opinion, based upon my study, it, it's got way, to, way more to do with a melodic instrument. It has much more to do with a rhythm chordal mm-hmm. instrument in that setting. So it, it gives me the stimulation that I need at all times to be happy and feel challenged and fulfilled.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I think it's, that's something that's really overlooked with harmonica playing for a lot of students. And, and I'm, I'll put my hand up as well. You know, I, I've hidden behind being a singer. So I, I kind of use that as an excuse to not work on the accompaniment, accompaniment side of things. But uh, like we, we were talking before we, we went live, we were talking about uh, Roly Platt and, and what a phenomenal harmonica player he is. And he's a phenomenal lead player but it is it is for me it's it's always been that rhythm playing and his ability to accompany people and play from the start of a song to the end of a song and add something all the way through without playing over it uh, that I think is, is so powerful um, and I guess that's something that's that's maybe a little bit easier in the duo set um, and but yeah you have to work hard at it I'm, I'm, I'm sure
1: well it it requires excessive uh, musical thinking. Uh, You have to really, really pay attention to the layer that the harmonica is adding and is it appropriate. It has to support what is being featured. You know, it's a real simple thing if you think of like a The way a pizza is, the layers of a pizza. You know, you can't be the toppings of a pizza all the time. Sometimes you have to be that crust or you have to be that red sauce that is more hidden underneath than being on top. But I am, I'm very, very extreme in my feeling that as a harmonica player, if you're smart enough and you're musical enough, you can find a layer that works. I even heard you say it in the interview, and I was applauding madly that if you are a harmonica player on stage or the band, you're only soloing 10% of the time. So what are you doing with that 90% of the time? And I find it, I get uncomfortable when I look at a harmonica player standing there doing nothing. That to me is a tragedy. And as Rolly Platt pointed out, that is putting yourself on the fast road to unemployment if you can't find something to do to make the band better during that 90% of the time. So a really big part of my approach to teaching is finding a plan for that 90% of the time when you're not soloing. Uh, That to me is really the the. Key for keeping the role of the harmonica in modern music alive and keeping it well, finding a plan for that. In my classes, which are, of course, now I'm doing online, when I was doing them in real life, I would always make the students appoint another harmonica player accompanist to sit in the song that the another student would do so there would be always two harmonicas playing at the same time one of course being the main feature the toppings so to say and then the other harmonica player always uh, being that hidden accompanist layer, and of course, I would yell at them right there in real time in class if they were losing the groove, or if they were playing too loud, or crowding the space of the featured harmonica player at that time. Uh, all in praise and support of what you said, uh, which I'm all on board with. That 90% of the time, you're not playing. What do you do? Or you're not soloing. What are you doing?
0: yeah it's uh it's such a difficult one to to kind of get people on board with i think because it's it's not quite as as glamorous uh as as you know taking the big lead um but what people don't necessarily understand especially if you know they're thinking oh i'm just going to jam sessions if you go to a jam session and you just take a solo you might get given one or two solos but if you're up there and you're filling out the sound and you're adding something to the band and you're making everybody feel great because you're adding something they'll keep you up there all night Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool so let's uh, let's uh go into another part of your uh your harmonica universe because i mean your, your biography is completely nuts it's it's almost impossible I, I i gave up trying to write an intro uh with with everything in it so i just wanted to chat about a bunch of different things because um, you're you're also known as as probably the the best harmonica uh, customizer uh, on the planet. Um, how how did you? Well, why did you start doing that? I think is probably more uh, more pertinent.
1: Um, I'm naturally very curious. Uh, I find that I I actually have to put my curiosity in the park because sometimes it can get the best of me. So. When I started playing the harmonica, uh, I was just asking questions like, why do these notes bend and these notes not bend? And I had the opportunity in the late 1980s to attend this music trade show that is known in the States as the NAMM show. And I was so excited to track down the Honer booth and get a little bit of stimulation because they're really, even after playing for a very short time, a year or two, I was already finding that the available st- instruction books at the time were saying things that I found to be wrong, uh, not truthful, very inaccurate. So I go to the Honer booth and I'm looking for – Light. I'm looking for some kind of uh, epiphany that these people that have been associated with making the best harmonicas in the world for years. And they, I think they just looked at me like I was some kind of crazed lunatic. Uh, (laughs) They didn't have any answers for anything. And the uh, guy in, in the display that they had of, Harmonicas was so small; it was embarrassing. They were definitely there to feature accordions and other things, not not harmonicas. So the guy gave me a business card with uh, the work phone number for Rick Epping, who was a big name at the Honer Company, and I called and chatted him up, and he gave me some guidance and uh, gave me a few. Th- things to think of, a few answers to the questions, but there really wasn't that much. When I was at the trade show, they gave me this uh, magazine that they had would occasionally publish every year, or so they called it Easy Reading, and in it was a letter from some guy who apparently was a member of a Chicago harmonica club, of which I was going bonkers. I had to find out about this Chicago Harmonica Club, and it turns out there was uh, a club that had been meeting for a number of years. They called themselves the Windy City Harmonica Club, and the members of the Harmonicats group and Harmonica Rascals group were part active members of this club. And so uh, I started going on a regular basis. It met once a week. And it was through they uh going to that club that I found out about other harmonica festivals, harmonica events, and I started to have some contact with guys that were uh not afraid to take the harmonica apart and maybe tune it or do adjustments or clean it or something. Uh And that was a a big deal for me because it kind of gave me permission to take the harmonica apart. In 1990, I went to my first harmonica exclusive festival, the the widely known uh, spa harmonica festival for the society for the preservation and advancement of the harmonica. And at that festival in 1990, Dick Gardner, uh, one of the later members of the Harmonicats, was there representing Honer and was doing little repair things. He was taking people's harmonicas apart and cleaning them and doing little things. And that watching him do that sort of gave me full out permission to take harmonicas apart and do stuff. And and then I just really realized, wow, you can take it apart. You can really retune the reed. Not a half step, you can retune or read a whole step or maybe even more. And it got me experimenting with some different harmonica tunings. And I'm trained, I'm college trained as a machinist, metalworking machinist. And in the late 1980s, I had also started a very small uh, one-person metalworking machine tool business. And it was with that equipment that I had, that I had the wherewithal to make brass comb harmonicas and make fabricate, create brass cover plates for diatonic harmonicas. And I was just experimenting, trying to build relationships with people. And the mere fact that I was doing this came... As a big shock to many professional players, this is where that time period, some of the players that I met really early on were uh, Howard Levy and Chicago's Corky Siegel, uh, Peter Madcat Ruth, um, Charlie Musselwhite, and they were just so touched that somebody was taking the harmonica seriously. It appeared, I think from their perspective, they they probably would say that the harmonica was a disposable instrument. You play it till it develops a problem. Uh, Well, hopefully you find a good one. You play it till it develops a problem. Then you throw it away and get a new one. And so I was trying to upgrade that harmonica and make it a more consistent uh, playing instrument. So the... was doing the brass harmonicas for a number of years, but it was probably by like 93, 94, 1994 that it really hit me that in my world, what people really wanted was a great, consistent, well-playing marine band harmonica. If there was a marine band harmonica that the comb wouldn't swell and it wasn't rough in your mouth, that's what really most people wanted. And then I embarked on that journey of trying to seal the wooden comb and make it a more user-friendly harmonica. So this is a situation of me having the right amount of time, the right skill set, the right amount of ambition, being the right age. And, and it was like about 93, 94, that the Honer Harmonica Company Uh, decided to make a change in their mass production. And the end result was they were selling, putting out, manufacturing and selling the worst harmonicas that you could ever imagine. They They were complete crap. And it created a panic that many of these professional players, and this is how I met Kim Wilson. He basically called me up and said, I heard you do work on harmonicas. I need some harmonicas that play, <laughs> uh, and it, it. I was, I was right smack, uh, you know, behind the crosshairs of something big, an opportunity, and and I, I did. I, I took the plunge, and I and I decided I was going to pursue this endeavor, and really learn how um, a harmonica works, um, and how. What makes it play? What makes it play well? What makes it play lousy? What's the best way to tune it? Uh, I am listening to this audiobook right now that uh, by Malcolm Gladwell called Outliers. And, and part of it is what makes uh, a outstanding person outstanding. Were they born that way? Or are they really a victim of their circumstances? So he talks about having to acquire 10,000 hours of time doing something before you can be an expert. So let me tell you, I acquired that 10,000 hours uh, quite a long time ago. I'm not even saying that bragging. I'm really saying that matter-of-factly, that here I was at the right place at the right time with the right opportunity, and I decided to go for it, and... That was the starting point of of it all. Um, It was an immensely stressful time. I can truly say to you, I was so busy and so stressed out from trying to figure this out and do this that, that I really wasn't sure that I was going to live to be even as old as I am now. I was really stressed out of my mind, but felt compelled to pursue this because I'd taken people's money on orders and needed to. Uh, find it out so uh, one of the really tremendous benefits of this for me is the relationships that I've built f- with many of the best players now living in the world uh, it I, I have such quick immediate access to the greatest players many of the greatest players alive that I think that that right now makes me quite valuable to Honer because I know what great harmonica players want arguably more than anybody else because I've gotten to know them I've gotten to know their playing styles and and I certainly know the instrument in how it plays inside and out
0: absolutely well I mean that that's the thing that, that I find absolutely fascinating is that you kind of went from this period that I mean, it's I was it's way before I started playing harmonica. I mean, I, I was born in '87, so I I didn't even know, uh, you know, Hona was a thing. But you know, a period that people talk about the harmonicas being not great to you customizing, and now you work pretty closely with Hona, and they even have uh, you as the head of the affiliated customizer program. Um, how how did how did you manage to kind of Get get into Hona and get them to think more uh, more forward rather than kind of resting on their laurels. <clears throat>
1: um, first and foremost, the person to thank for that is Steve Baker, and that at that at the time period uh, that that happened, uh, the main director guy. Uh, at Hohner was was Klaus Stetter, and Stetter hired uh, Michael Timler to be uh, oversee a lot of stuff. And Michael Timler was really known for the Harp Online thing that he created uh, in Germany, which was a you know really created the inroad for having Hohner make parts available. To uh, harmonica players, and so when Timler got hired and was actually working at Honer, then he really took it to a new level. So it was really uh, Timler and my close relationship with Steve Baker, who I've known since 1991, uh, that this sort of went ahead and happened. It 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 truly was not my doing. It was them saying. Look, we really need to keep moving forward with this. Please get involved. Uh, I don't like politics, and I, I don't. I'm not. A, I'm not. am not i am not one for wanting to dive in with that. They they talked me into doing it, and assured me that it was going to be a good thing if I got involved. I've tried to. I've been involved with Honer, and I do a lot for Honer. But I always try to keep a healthy distance. I, I guess I tell people really. I feel better knowing that owner owes me a favor than for me to feel like I owe them a favor. Um <laughs> I like uh, living on my own terms and doing stuff my own way. and uh, I don't I, I don't want to be accountable to too many people, much less being accountable to an entire corporation that can change their management from one day to another. And then all of a sudden, I'm not liking the direction that they're taking things. Uh, Definitely, we got to praise, first and foremost, Steve Baker, because he's been the guiding light of Honer since the late 1980s, probably mid-1980s, or no, maybe early 1980s. It's been Mm -hmm. a long time. But but he's the guy that's continually pointing them into a direction of, of connecting with the players, finding out what the players want, uh, being respectful to the players, and I think I'm kind of the henchman. I'm the guy in the trenches, actually building the relationship with those players and finding out really what it is that they want and what it is that they need to keep them happy as being a harmonica player.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I think I think it's it's been a kind of. Uh... Well, a massive transformation. And am I right in um, saying that you, you don't play custom harmonicas yourself now, do you? you? You just use stock or close to stock?
1: I'm very, very finicky about the tuning of the harmonica because I'm such an excessive chord interval player. Uh, I, I can't usually play a harmonica that's stock tuned. Uh, it It's challenging for me so i adjust the tuning to the the uh so the octaves and intervals are in tune and the chords are in tune Uh, i have to have that but the responsiveness of the harmonica is pretty much a stock harmonica i don't require something that is really high performance uh it actually puts me truthfully in a point of conflict i i feel i feel like I'm cheating, I, 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 feel, I feel wicked in a sense that I could have a harmonica that's so much better than the harmonicas that T. Ford Bailey or Sonny Terry had or Little Walter had, I, I feel dirty. <laughs> I, I, so I try, I try to keep in touch with the reality of the situation and feel connected to the past by not playing harmonicas that are, that are too good, that are good, but not too good.
0: I I think that's fair. That's fair. Um, And so, do you do you still customize harmonicas? Do you still have clients that you do stuff for?
1: I certainly do. Yes, but I'm I'm really happy with my situation and my lighter workload. Uh, uh, It gives me more time to be involved in uh, writing stuff, developing my teaching method. Um, You know the stuff I'm doing with Eric Noden now. Clearly, a lot. More of what I'm going to be doing is going to be online simply because that's just the way the future is uh, taking me here in this point. But yes, I will do it as long as my hands don't go arthritic and my eyes go shot. I, I will continue to do it forever for sure.
0: Oh, very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I, I saw that uh, that you've recently joined Instagram and I, I saw you did, did a live stream for, for Hona, which was very cool. Um, Thank you. I, th- I think having having more of you online is is definitely a good thing. So I, I'm 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 sad Thank that you. it took a pandemic to make it happen, but uh, you know positive things come out of this. And um, I don't know. I I I'm seeing a lot of positive stuff happening at the moment in the harmonica community. People are uh, kind of giving a lot more shout outs to each other, and um, I feel like there's a lot of support rallying uh, for everyone. So yeah, it's. Uh, it's a tough time, but good, good, good stuff's coming. Um, yeah, one thing, before we kind of, uh, wrap up, I want to be mindful of your time, but uh, I wanted to ask if there's anything kind of new that you're working on that you're kind of excited about sharing with the audience, uh, anything that you want them to check out?
1: Well, um, the, my, (laughs) <laughs> I guess it's just the stuff that I'm doing primarily uh, with the study materials at the Felisco store, um, one of my another little side projects, which actually I decided to start doing it before the whole pandemic started. And that is, I've been creating videos of myself uh, playing the song, When the Saints Go Marching In and i've been posting them on youtube and on my facebook pages of me trying to play that melody in very different styles of harmonica playing uh and and i i think i think for a lot of people they they think that a player who might be very accomplished but have his own unique style if he plays in a different genre of music, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's playing harmonica in that genre of music. Uh, there's, I'm trying to see if I can communicate this clearly. So there's a Chicago style in uh, blues playing, in my opinion, of playing the harmonica, and I think I capture that in the in the video of. Uh, when the Saints go marching in, there's a Mississippi hill country approach to playing the harmonica. And I think I've captured that. There's a Cajun, traditional Cajun accordion style that's very different than anything else. And and so that's one of my little side projects I've been doing here in this last month. Uh, last night, I was practicing up on Sonny Terry's style of playing and trying to cap when the Saints go marching in. And so you can hear the very unique way Sonny Terry probably would have played it. So I'm bold enough that I'm trying to embody the spirit of that player or that specific tradition of playing and trying to hold to that, the specific do's and don'ts. Uh, For example, Somebody like Sonny Terry, if you listen carefully, you're not going to hear that octave split sound in his playing. Sonny Terry would never hear that. He he was a different style of tongue blocking player. You may hear uh, splits in his playing, interval splits, but you wouldn't hear octave splits in his playing. So I have to remember in my head, Make sure I'm using this technique and that technique and this sort of series of riffs, but never that sort of series of riffs. It's a good little side project for me to keep myself stimulated.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That sounds brilliant. I I will definitely link that up in the show notes for for everyone to go and check out. Uh, I think that, that's, a, that's a very cool idea. I'm, uh, I'm very intrigued. Uh, awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for taking some time out of your day to, to hang out with me. This has been uh, a real pleasure. And uh, yeah, I uh, hope to catch up again at some point uh, for maybe around two if you, if you want to uh, do some more harmonica chat at some point. And uh, yeah, I hope you stay safe and clean and healthy and all that stuff.
1: Thank you, Tomlin. I've enjoyed every moment here being with you. And I hope we can do it again. If you want to do it again, the answer is yes.
0: Awesome. That is fantastic to hear. And the audience have heard it now, so that will be around too. All right. Take it easy and I'll, uh, I'll catch you later. Happy harping. Thank you. Thank you. bye Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Tomlin's Harmonica Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review on your podcast player of choice. Join me next Monday for the next episode. Happy harping.